gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller, and we have a special guest, a previous Howdy. <laughs> Theology Gals co-host, Ashley Glossick, is joining us. How's it going, everybody? I was kind of thinking this is now like your once a year come back yeah. and, and <laughs> join I us. posted, I tweeted today, I'm dusting off my microphone because... <laughs> I think it's been a solid year since I've yeah. since I've used it. So I think it may have been yeah. like April. April. I I don't know exactly yeah. when it was that you were on with with um, Angela and me. But yeah, I'm glad to have you back for this episode. So we're going to be talking about depression and anxiety, and this is definitely something that's often talked about in the group and. Um, you know, sometimes we get posts about it. And I think especially in Christian circles for various reasons, there's sometimes some confusion. You know, there's views like that it's only spiritual and mm -hmm. which I don't think is true. And, uh, you know, we just, we want to talk about that. And it's something that each one of us have dealt with in in different ways. And so that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with kind of talking about our own experiences. And I'm going to let you start, Ashley, since you're back joining us. Sure. Um, I've had a couple bouts with anxiety and depression, most significantly when I was in college. And that was actually just after I became a Christian, which was really unexpected. Um, I kind of thought, you know, once I became a Christian, I kind of thought Christians didn't really struggle with things like that. And so that was really challenging. And then I've also experienced um, postpartum depression um, after I had my baby. Both times I sought counsel, sought medical help, sought, you know, kind of a mixture of things. And 
really kind of saw what works and what doesn't work. And in one case, saw got really, really bad counsel. But it was like a really great learning experience, I would say. So that's kind of like the short version. I've often called anxiety the the thorn in my flesh, right? That it's the the, the kind of the constant struggle with for me. Um, I would say that I've probably always been somewhat anxious. It certainly runs in my family, uh, which is not uncommon. Um, it was worse when I was uh, a teenager. It got worse then. It got worse when I went on uh, birth control pills to treat uh, some uh, cyst issues. And lately, it got worse again a few years ago. And so hormones do seem to have a lot to do for me uh, with the anxiety. I can kind of track it at times. But, you know, I'm thankful because I have, you know, another a number of family members who've also been through it who can sit me down and we can talk and we can kind of share what's worked and, you know, that you're not the only one. And it's not. it doesn't mean you're not a good Christian and it doesn't mean that you aren't. Um, trusting in the Lord is just something that happens sometimes in some of the struggles that we go through. Uh, about six or seven years ago, when my anxiety was getting markedly worse, and I noticed that some other things were happening as well physically, and I went to my doctor and I said, you know, here's what's going on. What do you think? And her first instinct was just to put me on anti-anxiety medicine. And I'm not opposed to that at all, but I did want to know if we should run some tests and make sure there wasn't anything else going on first, because if there were some underlying symptoms or underlying causes, I wanted to know and treat it. So the first thing we did, we ran some tests and it, my vitamin D was very, very low. And so they fixed that and I felt better. Um, somewhat, in the, but it continued to have some other issues. And so we did some more tests and we discovered that uh, my progesterone levels were really, really, really low, which is not terribly uncommon uh, for women mid-30s on. But um, once we got that fixed between the two of those, uh, I found that my anxiety was was a little more manageable. Hmm. But um, But last year, I finally did take the step of actually seeking counseling, which was hard for me to do in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I've heard lots of horror stories about bad counsel, bad counseling, and I wasn't sure if I could do a whole lot of trial and error in finding one, but I did find a good counselor. Um, she is a Christian, but it is not a um, Christian counseling type environment. It is. Um, she's a licensed counselor, and she uses a variety of methods uh, to help, and I am uh, I've seen a lot of good results. I'm thankful that, I, that I've sought it. It was hard to do, but I'm really thankful I did it. Um, <laughs> the first time I went, I nearly like had a panic attack and left. Like It was awful before I even got into the appointment. So by the time I got back to see her, I was crying already. Um, it, was, it was very stressful, but um, ultimately very, uh, very fruitful to be there. Mm-hmm. I always had a little anxiety, nothing nothing horrible though, but along with some health problems, I started getting like debilitating anxiety, just really, really awful. And when they were doing other tests, you know, I mentioned this as one of my symptoms and it really didn't have any specific reason. I would just get this anxiety, I mean, that would last like anxiety attack that would last days that was just Mm. horrible and it came with other health issues so 
initially my immunologist did a uh, test where they track your hormones over the course of a day. And he saw that my cortisol levels were jumping up and down and then they were spiking at night. So if, um, that's not normal for cortisol levels. They kind of start high and go lower throughout the day. And so that was definitely causing, there was something physical that was causing this anxiety. And so what can happen is if you have something physical that's not, so for me, an autoimmune issue that involves my adrenal glands. So it's not balancing my hormones or balancing my cortisol levels. Um, and so I, and I'll be honest, I, I took medication because I couldn't function otherwise. But while I was taking that medication to function, um, was also treating the underlying cause. And uh, that made a huge difference. And it's probably something I'll deal with in some way for the rest of my life. But I, I learned a lot. I think I didn't, I've never really struggled with depression other than what some of us women can kind of go through a couple days a month. But I really learned a lot because I was a little bit ignorant. I, I kind of, before I went through that, I kind of thought it was all spiritual. And mm -hmm. I would even kind of feel lots of guilt um, if I did experience depression or anxiety, not realizing now that I understand a lot more and I've had so many friends. I mean, I have friends that have, and even a family member that went through um, depression, anxiety, and found out they had a tumor. I mean, that there can be these physical causes. And I'll just mention briefly, I've mentioned it before. I, you know, one of my sons is bipolar and, you know, it's been a, a big, um, I don't know, wake-up call for me about some of these things that can happen because I think there's a lot of Christians that maybe deny mental illness or physical causes for these things. And one of the problems, I think, is that the spiritual and the physical and the emotional can even overlap. So you can have something physical, like I did, causing these anxiety attacks, but then, you know, it's affecting you spiritually. It's affecting you emotionally. And so trying to figure all of that out. And one thing that's hard, as you guys know, is when you're in the midst of having depression or anxiety, sometimes your thoughts aren't even um, realistic. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. not, not reality. You can have some odd thoughts that are just, you know, you're unable to reason sometimes when it's really bad. And so, you know, and that's why sometimes you'll have people that struggle with depression, anxiety that will even struggle with assurance because it can, it can be hard to kind of hang on to reality when you're in the midst of a difficult season of depression or anxiety. So, which is a good segue into something we wanted to talk about, and that's the myths about anxiety and depression. And Rachel has written about this. I'm going to include it in the episode notes because uh, I think it's really helpful. So let's, let's talk about some of the myths, and let's start with um, it's just a lack of trust in God. That's definitely something I wondered. When, when I had my first bout of of anxiety, that was the first thing someone said to me, very well intentioned. You know, they weren't trying to 
to be hurtful, but that was the first thing that someone said, you know, they said, you know, if you really understood the sovereignty of God, you wouldn't be anxious. And I really took that to heart. Like, well, geez, you know, I was a pretty new believer and I was growing in my faith and trying to learn and trying to understand, you know, the attributes of of God and things like that. And so that was really hard, you know, for me to hear that if I really just got it, you know, <laughs> like if I really just understood yeah. and trusted the Lord better that this anxiety would go away. Um, and I, I honestly believe that could be true. Like somebody could really, really just really struggle with trusting the Lord. Um, but I, I don't think it should be applied as this blanket, you know, statement that if you're anxious or depressed, you just don't trust God. So yeah, I, I think that's a good myth to to bring up. Yeah, well, none of us trust the Lord exactly how we ought in in the fullness of how we ought. It's something we're struggling with always and growing in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I would say that when I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm often closer to the Lord because I'm clinging stronger to the promises and going to them and and praying more fervently because I want to get through it. I want to get past it, you know, this, the, the tension of that moment or that uh, particular bout. And, you know, I would say that my faith is stronger in some ways in those times. Not that, gee, I'm thankful that I had these, but, but I can look back on it and say that God has used these times to strengthen my faith in Him, not because my anxiety was because I wasn't trusting Him, but because through it, I have learned that I have to trust in Him because there's nothing else, you know, that I can't make myself better. I can't make it go away. You know, it's not just because, you know, I'm, I'm a bad Christian. You know, it's, mm. it's my struggle. It's one of the things that I have to deal with. But um, I see Him working through it in me, and I'm thankful for that. But, um, no, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, a lack of trust that we struggle what you said, Rachel, made me think of a passage, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. And some versions say we despaired to the point of death. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. And it's exactly that. When when we are going through that, when we are going through any trial or suffering, it really does draw us nearer to the Lord, that we, we learn to lie, rely more on the Lord than ourselves. And I, I think maybe I, I've always seen a kind of a distinction between this kind of besetting like anxiety that I felt at, at points that I just can't get rid of and worry. And I think my worry you know, when, when I'm running things through my head that, you know, where I need to like actually take my thoughts captive, I think my worry is connected to, you know, maybe a lack of trust in God and other things, but the anxiety, like the physical, um, <clears throat> the physical anxiety that I felt, um, that I can't shake. Um, I, I've always viewed those as, as kind of separate. Do you guys see it that way? Yeah. 
Um, you know, that was one of the other things that I, I wrote in that post is that, you know, talk, thinking about one of the myths about anxiety being it's all in your head, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, what you talked about anxiety is your whole body, right? It's not just thinking about worrying thoughts, right? It's, it's so much more than that. And, you know, as such, you know, as Colleen mentioned, as you've mentioned, these are, we sh- should address anxiety and depression as a whole body mm-hmm. issue, right? We should address all the aspects of it. Um, I certainly didn't want to sound earlier like I was saying anything against taking medication. I think medication is very useful um, for the treatment of anxiety and depression. Um, <laughs> honestly, for myself, I would probably benefit from it. Um, that would involve getting over anxiety with going to medical doctors for things to get there, mm-hmm. which is an, a, a very ironic set of anxieties for me. But um, and a lot of that stems from very difficult pregnancy issues. I just have trouble going. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not all in your head. It's not just um, you know, thinking a little bit too much about a particular issue or not relying on God to solve a particular issue. It involves so much more. Well, and th- that's from what both you guys were talking about, because one of the things that can happen. So if, if you have, um, let's say you have worry, which, which is wrong, which is a sin, but your body can, st- if you're if your um, adrenaline isn't balanced and your cortisol isn't balanced, then you can have these physical manifestations of it. So even even for small things, if you've ever if you're somebody who um, deals with irregular hormones, you'll know what I'm talking about. You can have something really small, and you'll have this really severe physical reaction. That makes no sense. And so, but that also doesn't mean, okay, if I work on my worry, then all my physical reactions are going to go away because of the way that our bodies function. There can be little things like you get, you're in a grocery store and walk around the corner and run into someone and you're spooked for a second and your body can react. You know, that's not necessarily worry, but your body um, has that fight or flight response. And if your hormones aren't balanced, then you can kind of have these physical manifestations of what's happening. And so there is, there is a difference there, I think. From right. That. And I, I think it's hard to distinguish between the two. And I was talking to someone recently and they said, you know, I have this anxiety and, you know, I wish I could just take a test at the doctor, you know, and they could just point me to exactly, you know, what drug I need to take or what, what exactly I needed to do, but sometimes anxiety, it's like this invisible thing. You know, sometimes it's linked to your hormones or your, your thyroid or all these other things. But for me, that was never the case. I I had a clean bill of health and yet, you know, had this anxiety that I just couldn't, couldn't kick. Um, And I think that's hard when, you know, when you hear it's all in your head, you know, you kind of see where people are coming from because you can't, you can't see it. Like they can't see it. Like it doesn't show up on like a tox, mm-hmm. tox screen or, or something. And you kind of wish it did. Cause then it'd be like, look, see, I told you, you know, see, I, I'm really just anxious and I, I can't fix it. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I, I read an article you know, a few years ago. It was called anxiety, post-traumatic stress for something that never happened, but might. Right. Mm. And he just, the way he described it just 
I had never read anyone else describe what I was feeling and going through. And I, I found it really helpful, especially for distinguishing between, you know, I kind of have some cycles of worrying thoughts every now and then or versus, you know, my life is anxiety, right? Mm. And here's what he said. He said, concerns that any ordinary person would have about normal things, children, finances, career, relationships, health, skyrocket. Your mind immediately imagines the worst possible outcomes of reasonable concerns. A loop of anxiety that begins with an initial surge of panic and ends in the replay of catastrophic outcomes runs in your mind. This cycle is repeated dozens of times in a given day and you cannot make it stop. As much as you try, you're unable to let things go, quote, like normal people do. Once your mind locks onto something, it's nearly impossible to get it loose. Someone captured the sensation of acute anxiety as a relentless embracing of dread. It comes complete with physiological effects, shortness of breath, increased heart rate, disorientation, exhaustion. You know how many people at talk to talk to an emergency room nurse or doctor and find out how many people go to the emergency room thinking that they're having a heart attack. Yeah. And they're actually having an anxiety attack. That's how physical it can be. So some people may not even understand. That's, I had a friend that was on the floor. They were calling 911 thinking she had a heart attack. And it was an anxiety attack. That's how physical it can affect yeah. you. That was what my and, first panic attack felt like. I was, And it always goes with it that I'm convinced I'm dying is, right. is part of a panic attack. It's part of the mm-hmm. sensation. But it's yeah. really hard to convince yourself you're not. <laughs> yeah, because you can't I, breathe. You can't yeah. catch your breath and your Things chest hurt. may hurt. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, sometimes can't even stand up. And right. so I kind of want to tie the next two together because I think that they they can go together on the myths. And that's that it's just spiritual or or and or I guess that it's um, a result of sin, and I think this is one that unfortunately Christians even say to people that if you have anxiety or depression, you're in sin, hmm. and it's yeah. all spiritual. So, what do you ladies I say? Do, I do think people who say that have never actually experienced anxiety. Um, the person. I got counsel from had experienced worry, which we already, you know, we already said, you know, God's word's clear on that. There is sin, you know, it, we are told to not worry. Um, but they had never experienced actual anxiety. And so I think, I think people like that are sometimes well-intentioned. Um, and they think, they think if you just if you just can find the underlying sin, like what is it that you're doing that's really causing this? It must be deep down in there, and you just haven't repented. Um, I don't know. I I think they're well intentioned, and I think I'm a, I'm trying to assume the best. <laughs> um, I I think they're they really think that that's the cause of anxiety is just some unrepentant sin. Um, but that's really really hard to hear if you're actually experiencing something like physical, like anxiety. Um, I've read a lot of the passage and of course I I know what you're talking about, Ashley, the, you know, scripture says, uh, uh, do not fear, don't, don't worry. Right. And so therefore it says not to do it. Therefore it's a sin. Therefore, if you're anxious, then you're sinning, right? That's, Mm -hmm. 
that's the mindset that you get in a lot in a lot of the literature, a lot of the Christian literature on anxiety um, comes from that standpoint. And I think that it's, um, I think that it's short-sighted. I agree with you that people are trying to be faithful to scripture. I think that they're trying to be helpful, but I think a lot of times that even the passages where, where God tells us not to be afraid or not to worry is a reminder. It's um, a comfort, right? He's trying to remind us who he is and that he is with us, that um, that we would we have reason, people have reason to be afraid when God appears to talk to them, right? And, and yet he says, don't be afraid, I'm not here to hurt you, right? I'm here to, I'm here to bless you, I'm here to talk to you in a way that's for your good. Um so I think even in, in scripture we see a much uh, a much more nuanced picture of of worry and anxiety. You know, Paul talks about being anxious for the the churches. Right? He he experiences this concern, deep concern for them. Um, and you know, of course, in the garden, Jesus struggles with with great um, feelings of, of dread over what's coming. Right? You see his 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 humanity, you know, to the, the point of this, right, of, of dealing with our sin and handling it for us, that he's, he is distressed, right? And so there's, there's just a much bigger picture than saying, well, you know, it's just spiritual, it's just sin, and you just need to stop it, and which, of course, are, are y'all familiar with the uh, Bob Newhart skit where he's a counselor and it's, it's stop it? Yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> You can look it up on YouTube. It's very funny. And he's, he goes on, this woman comes to him for counsel and he says, I, and she's really, really anxious, really nervous. And her biggest fear is that she's going to be buried alive in a box. And he's like, okay, I can tell you really quick, just two words and it'll fix it. She says, okay. And he says, stop it. She says, what? She says, just stop it. Just stop worrying. Stop it. And she's like, I don't, I don't think this is going to work for me. I don't think this is not right. I, I really need more help. And he goes, he finally gets down. He goes, stop it, or I'm going to bury you alive in a box. And she just stares at him. So, but I, I see that, you know, in a lot of the, well, just stop it. I right? just don't do mm-hmm. it. Like, as if I yeah. could. I wish I could, right? <laughs> it has been yeah. a prayer for years yeah. for me that I could just stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think, if you seek counsel from from a pastor a uh, Christian counselor or something like that. And the, the first thing they talk to you about is scripture and is, you know, pointing you to all these truths that we know to be true about the Lord. I don't think that that's wrong. I, I don't think it's wrong to, to talk about that factor as long as all the other things are being addressed too, you know, like, okay, let's right. talk about like what the, what the word of God says about worry but let's also go get your thyroid checked. <laughs> let's also, you know, address, like, I think, Rachel, you mentioned it earlier, like, it's a whole body approach. It's, you know, the mind, the body. And so definitely, obviously, you know, God's word is applicable. But I, I think it's problematic when when um, it's seen as the only, the only thing that you can use is, you know, Philippians 4 to treat someone with, with anxiety. Um, yeah. Because there, I mean, literally, like if your thyroid is is low, um, I've heard Tim Keller actually talk about this. Like if your thyroid is really, really low, you're you're suicidal, mm-hmm. and that's that's a medical issue. You know, that's that's something that needs to be, you know, t- you, you need to talk to your doctor and figure that out. So, like, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm saying, <laughs> you know 
God's word is not sufficient. Um, I, and I, and I think honestly, that should be the, one of the first places, uh, you know, if you go to your pastor and you say I'm anxious, that's mm-hmm. the first place they should go. Um, but I just think we need to consider all, all these other factors that could play into someone being anxious. Yeah. And yeah. this is, you know, we're talking about for women, but, in, and obviously this is a podcast, primarily women listening, but, um, it, it's true for our husbands or, as well. Um, it, my from my husband you know depression became an issue and it was a new thing and you know we did we went to the doctor and got some things taken care of and as well as seeking counsel and reading scripture and and doing all the other things that we can do um to deal with the you know kind of the day-to-day symptom issues but there is so much more going on in our bodies and especially because we are reformed believers we know that our whole bodies are affected by sins, our, by sin. Our minds are affected our, and by the effects of sin, our minds, our bodies, all of us, right? So, it should not be a surprise to us that um, the fall can cause effects on our bodies that can lead to depression and sin, whether depression and anxiety, whether or not we are actively sinning that's causing it. Right? That there can be things that have gone wrong in us, just like my heart can fail and I need uh, heart medication to treat it, or my um, my body stops producing insulin and I need to take insulin shots. Right? These are those aren't particular things that someone did that caused it. Right? But they are effects of sin on us, and we know that. And I don't know why we have such a hard time applying that then to mental health issues because. Hmm. It is our minds are as much, you know, part of our physical body and as well. And we we know that things can happen. Yeah. Right. So if if I have cancer and I'm going to the doctor for chemotherapy, you're not gonna say to me what God's word isn't sufficient. You're not trusting the Lord. You know, we know that there are times where um, our bodies need attention, that we need an antibiotic or chemotherapy or surgery or any number of things. And there, there are so many different things that can cause this. Now, I do want to say what we aren't saying is that it justifies sin in that. You know, we've all had times right. where I've had a hard day. It's not okay for me to then sin against my husband and children just because I've had a hard day. Or right. I'm having an anxiety attack. It doesn't justify me sinning against other people. It doesn't justify that sin. Uh, so we're, we aren't, we aren't saying that in any way, but the, the big thing I think, and I've have friends, I think I've never gotten this counsel, but I have friends who've suffered with anxiety and depression and gotten Christian counsel that, well, you must have unrepentant sin. That's why you're suffering with it. You know, and I had a friend that's like, I think I've repented of everything I can think of and I'm still suffering so much with this severe depression. And he ended up finding out he had a very real um, physical ailment that was that the number one symptom is depression. And, Mm. you know, I'm glad Rachel mentioned men because when we're talking about hormones, I think we think of women, but men can have a thyroid problem or they can have low testosterone. This is why I think, especially when you reach a certain age, get a yearly physical that's that's mm-hmm. important. Get those hormones tested. Find, get other things um, tested. And sometimes we don't know. We we can tell there's something physical going on, but we don't know 
exactly what's causing it. I was talking to a, a biblical counselor recently <clears throat> that, um, you know, we were talking about anxiety and depression and um, she made a really good point. She said, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's purely physical. Like sometimes I tell people, you know, go get your blood work done. You know, something comes back and they fix it and then it's gone. She said, sometimes it is purely spiritual. And I, I have a friend who um, really, really wrestled with being able to see that God loved him um, like personally and just really, really wrestled with that. And after some, you know, a long period of pastoral counseling, his depression really did go away because it was tied to this wrong view of God. And then I have, I know other people where it's kind of a, a mix of the, most people I know it's a mix of the two. It's physical and spiritual. Like there are some things they need to work through. Um, and there are some, you know, physical things that need to be treated by their doctor. Um, and that's, that's what's hard about it is it's complicated. You know, it's not, it's not clear. Like if I'm anxious, it's not like necessarily obvious that, oh, you just have a physical issue, you have a spiritual issue, you know, it's some cocktail of the two uh, going on. It, it's it's hard to, kind of hard to diagnose. Well, I think one can affect the other is what complicates mm -hmm. it. So if yeah. I'm having, when I was having, when my cortisol levels were jumping all over the place, um, you know, because something that was going on, my, on in my body that was autoimmune, uh, it was causing me to question God, you know, hmm. it was resulting in me saying, Lord, why aren't you making me better? Why am I suffering? Which is actually another thing um, I wanted to mention, regardless of what suffering that you're going through, maybe you have cancer, maybe um, you have to have a knee replacement or uh, any number of things. Maybe you have a chronic illness, you have an autoimmune disease or any any number of things, um, just like with anxiety and depression or any other thing, it doesn't mean that God is punishing you for some sin that you mm. committed. Like Rachel said, our bodies um, experience the results of the fall. They get sick. And yeah. it's not always, I think sometimes, I remember when I first started having um, health issues, it was natural for me to say, what did I do, Lord? Hmm. Yeah. To deserve that's, this, that's, you know, that's Job's question, right? You know, in the book of Job, he's like, what did, what did I do? Like I, you know, my life has been upright. I don't understand. And so I think it's easy for us to do that. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think you see it too. When the disciples asked Jesus about the man who's born blind, you know, was it his sin or his parents' sin yes. that caused him to be like this? Mm. And and God, Jesus says neither, right? It was done mm. so that I could display my power of healing before you, right? It's so I, God be glorified. Mm. And you know, I think that you know, while there absolutely is overlaps in our lives between our physical and our emotional, our spiritual, um, sometimes we we learn to be more aware of our sin and our sin patterns because we're fighting depression and anxiety, whether or not our depression or anxiety are caused by sin, if that makes sense. But hmm. it, it increases our awareness. We, we, we look to that because we're, we know to look to our, our actions, right? And so to see if there's anything going on. So I think a lot of times there is 
some overlap, but there's also um, ways in which God uses all of these things for our sanctification. That yeah. so maybe someone who who doesn't feel doesn't struggle with depression and anxiety may not uh, be quite as introspection introspective. Excuse me um, about what's going on in their lives. Yeah. Well, you can be sick with, um, the flu <laughs> and all of a sudden you're very selfish, <laughs> you know, <Sure. laughs> leave me alone. I, yeah. this is, this is my sick party and you guys need to all <laughs> revolve around me here. So it well, happens with all kinds of suffering. Well, I promise if you get sick with a flu, I will leave you alone because it's not something I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Rachel, something you said reminded me of what a friend said to me once mm. where I, they said, have you ever thought to thank the Lord for this struggle in your life? And I was like, no, <laughs> because it's so awful, you know? And they're like, yeah, like, we don't know what God's doing, you know, to sanctify us. We don't, we don't know like how all the pieces fit together. And so I think with any other struggle or trial, um, you know, kind of how you were saying in God's providence, like this is mine. You know, he's given this to me. And so, you know, praise God that he's using this in how, however he's using this. Like, praise God that he, this is how he's true, choosing to work out my sanctification um, for, for my good and his glory. And I don't understand. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But um, that was a really interesting question to be asked. Um, so it, it's just something I think about a lot. I think that's one of those things it's easier to see in hindsight, to look back, yeah. not in the middle of it, you know, it's too much, but to look back and to say, okay, I see how you use that. I see mm -hmm. what you did in me through that. Um, and, you know, I mean, even, you know, I don't know that, that um, Paul thanked God for the coppersmith who was, who was abusing him, right? You know, I think there's right. a place for saying that this is just bad and wrong. Um, but yes, I do think that we can, we can certainly look to our history and see what, what God has done for us um, in various ways that we wouldn't have expected. So one of the myths, and of course, I think we hear this a lot, is that Christians shouldn't take any medication. And okay, specifically for anxiety and depression. No, I don't know any, well, I'm sure there's people out there, but most Christians aren't going to say you shouldn't take an antibiotic for your strep throat. But there are many Christians who think that taking any medication for depression and anxiety is wrong, that they'll say you're not trusting God. Or I think there's also a misunderstanding of exactly what the medication does. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the medications, they don't just make you happy. I mean, there's probably medications like that, but nothing that I took just made all my problems go away. Um, it lessened the physical effects uh, of my hormones being imbalanced when I had anxiety. There was a really great article that um, you know David Murray has written quite a lot on Christians and depression and and these issues, mental health issues, and he he posted an article um, on some of the research that's being done uh, about depression in particular and the physical and biological aspects, and you know what they're seeing is that depression, which can come be caused by any number of things, can then cause um, you know, changes 
within the brain and brain chemistry that, that are visible changes. And that one of the things that we, you do when you treat it, then with the multi-prong approach is that you need to treat medically what's going on so that you can recover physically and emotionally and even spiritually that you need all of that looked at because that there are real things. It's not just, you know, again, it's not just all in your head, although it is in your head, but you know, say <laughs> there are physical, obvious, actual things going on that can be pointed to. And I thought that was really encouraging because, you know, one of the things I had heard a lot growing up is that um, medication is just a crutch or it's, um, again, it's a sign that your faith is weak and you just need to trust God to, that he will take you through this. Yeah, David Murray has some really great resources on this subject. Yes. I'll recommend. He's got, uh, I think the one of his books is called Christians Get Depressed Too. Mm. He has, I'll try to find it because it's been probably 10, 12 years since I listened to it, but he had a really great uh, audio series on depression and anxiety, one of the best things I've heard. Yes, and I've listened to it. It's fantastic. He does a great job of talking about the physical and spiritual and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And his wife is a, his wife's a medical doctor or she was. Um, they're from Scotland, right? Yes. Yeah, his wife was a medical doctor in mm -hmm. Scotland. And so she's written a book too um, called Refresh that's not necessarily about depression, but sort of. Um, and her insight's really helpful just from the medical aspect. One of the links that we'll put is something that I gathered on resources on anxiety and depression. Um, and both the Christians Get Depressed Too book by David Murray and then um, Refresh and uh, Reset, which is the one David wrote for men. So Refresh and Reset are, are companion books on the issue. Very similar. I read them both. Mm -hmm. um, but those are all, are all there in the links. You know, this isn't just for you if you're struggling with depression and anxiety. I think every single person knows somebody that mm -hmm. is suffering with depression and anxiety. And so maybe this will be helpful for you. I get messages on a fa fairly regular basis from gals that will say, I'm just suffering with debilitating depression or anxiety and I don't know what to do. I, I do all these things. And so the first one on the list I'm going to tell you is I always tell people, when, I always say, when was your last physical? Mm -hmm. uh, for women and men, hormones can can really affect things like this. Um, but there's a variety of other physical ailments, uh, tumors. Um, I I do want to I do want to say um, we're specifically talking about about anxiety and depression, but there are mental illnesses, and I know mm -hmm. some Christians deny this, but. Uh, our episode with uh, Simonetta Carr about her son that had schizophrenia. Her book is really, really, really great. Recommend that. Uh, there's not a lot of great stuff uh, from a Christian perspective that I've read on mental illness, but there are mental illnesses, and we don't understand all of them. My son is bipolar, and unless you've known somebody with, with bipolar, it's, um, you know, I can tell when he's going to crash, when he's in a manic episode and he's going to crash. 
um, and there's something very physical going on. And he can't, he's, he's old enough now that he can kind of tell when it's going to happen too, which is, is good. Um, but you know, there, there are a lot of things. So your first step should be your doctor. And if you need to go beyond that, um, your doctor may be able to help you. And And then after that, we would probably say pastor elders, go have a chat with them, let them know what's going on. Absolutely. Um, I was going to add just real quick that, um, you know, there is a lot of stigma around mental illness. There shouldn't be. It's lessening more and more in the secular world, but the the Christian world has really lagged behind on this particular uh, aspect, in my opinion. And we need to be much more open about talking about it and recognizing that it's not, uh, you know, a mark, uh, mark against you as a person or as a Christian hmm. if you're struggling in yeah. these ways. Um. And, and certainly, it's not something that you should be afraid of addressing with a counselor or with your doctor. Uh, it's, it's worth doing. And it may be something like you were saying, Colleen, that, that your family sees or your friends see in you um, yeah. and can encourage you about. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you what, for my son, we were able, he started having symptoms as a teenager, and we were able to find a Christian psychiatrist. And that was Hmm. just wonderful. Um, Not that it has to be a Christian. We were just uh, blessed to find, you know, we're grateful to find a really good Christian psychiatrist. Um, Oh, let me also um, talk uh, vitamins, hormones, supplements. uh, That's actually for my own self, honestly, that's what I do now. I, I use a variety of supplements. Thankfully, it was actually my immunologist who first uh, gave me a list of supplements he wanted me to try that would help, like um, a supplement that helps regulate cortisol. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I take something that – I take passion flower, which helps for anxiety. And so there are a lot of things like that. And some doctors I've, – I've been thankful to have a, uh, doctors that have helped me to figure out some supplements that help. And Rachel, you mentioned like low vitamin D. I mean, I went into the doctor and he said, well, this is the lowest vitamin D I've ever seen. And I don't know if I should send you to the hospital, but things like that can really affect you. And, yeah, what my, I didn't know that about yeah, vitamin D. One of my doctors said that most women, um, once you're in your mid thirties, most women are, are low on vitamin D and we're low. Uh, our progesterone is low. And that's, that's mm. absolutely something that you should check. Um, the vitamin D one in particular, we were, we're all told to be very careful about, you know, sun exposure. We put on sunscreen and it, it really is having, which is good, right? But the, the other part of that is we need to watch our vitamin D levels. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know about that one. That's interesting. Yeah, I was losing hair and everything. I'm like, why is my hair oh, falling yeah. out? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ugly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can cause a lot, a lot of physical symptoms. My mom had a B twelve deficiency as well. That was similar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely worth having them. And I, like I said, you may have to push. I had to push and say, you know, please can we check everything? Yeah. Um, well, that's the other thing. Uh, I will say, don't assume they run the basic blood panel on you and they say, oh, everything looks normal. That that means there's no physical underlying right. cause. 
I mean, it took me going to an immunologist. And then when I was at Mayo Clinic, they did um, this. I I don't really remember exactly how it worked, but I, they had to check my, I think they checked my blood like every hour or two or something throughout the day to monitor what my hormones were doing. So, you know, yes, after you have, you know, addressed, and even if you're addressing physical causes, it's still important to, you know, address your dress as a, you know, full body, um, you know, emotional, physical, spiritual, well, well-being through things that, you know, it, even if it's not anxiety and depression, if you're dealing with uh, cancer or autoimmune issues or another uh, chronic illness, it's also good to, to talk to your pastor and talk about how the effects of this on your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I strongly recommend seeing a counselor who can, especially someone who is licensed to do counseling, to deal with um, the various issues and, and to give you coping strategies and to talk to you about things that are going on in a way that you can, you know, deal practically with some of, of what's happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's good to let your pastors, elders, deacons know, you know, because if you're really struggling um, you know, if they don't know what's going on in your life, so they can't necessarily, you know, help. And sometimes if you're really struggling, you need help. Like you need your church to, to step in and, you know, come help you with whatever. And so you got to let them know, you know, what's going on. Yep. I've had people from church come and clean my house when I'm really sick and bring meals yeah. and things like that. We want to talk about some practical practical advice what are some what are some practical things and i think these go for if you're struggling in any way mm-hmm. um but including depression and anxiety yeah and not I, as a replacement for counseling not as a replacement for medication right. this is like when you're doing everything else here are some other things right. that you can do i found i just want to again plug shauna murray's book refresh um one of the things we wanted to talk about was just de-stressing your life. And her book is so good in addressing just like, how did you get here? Um, Cause so many of us, I don't think we realize that we're like burning the candle at both ends and we're just doing way too much. And our anxiety and depression could be the result of just burnout. Like we're, we've just, we've been go, go, go for years. And it just takes a toll on you physically. And one of the things she says in her book is we need to acknowledge that we're creatures, that we're limited, we're finite. Like we aren't like the saviors of our families, of our, you know, we we have limitations. And so you have to recognize those limitations and get rest and maybe say no to some things. Um and uh, what else? What else does she say? I can't. I can't remember uh, specifically, but it was helpful for me to hear that from her. Just that I I'm very Type A, and <laughs> sometimes I think anxiety goes hand in hand with Type A. Um, and so just to remember that I have limitations. You know, like I can't just do everything all the time and not expect like a physical toll, a mental toll to be taken. 
Um, so she really recommends just de-stressing your life, getting rest, you know, getting exercise, just taking care of yourself, like basic physical needs that we neglect. And I think for young moms, sometimes I was not always very good at being sure to take care of myself when my kids were young. And I'd even sometimes feel guilty, uh, you know, just taking care of myself Mm. when I had young kids. But I was a better mom when I took care of myself. The only time that I have struggled with uh, depression, most people who have anxiety also have depression. That's typical. Mine is almost exclusively anxiety. But the only time I've really struggled with depression was postpartum depression, and particularly after Mm. my first son was born. And it was intense. Um, I somewhat expected, you know, it does run in my family, so I was kind of aware of the possibilities. But um, one of the things that helped me kind of with the, the, on the practical side and the self-care side is that every morning when I get up with the baby and my babies were always early risers, still are, um, <laughs> I would get a shower before my husband left to go to work so he could watch the baby while I did that. Um, and I would put on different clothes. It didn't have to be something that I would necessarily want to be seen out of the house in, but it was something different from what I slept in. Uh, mm-hmm. And just that act alone, doing that, brushing my hair, um, uh, putting on a little bit of makeup, that was something for me that made me feel better, right? That alone made a huge difference. And it was not that it fixed it, but it was a way that I could deal practically with not spiraling more, right? So mm-hmm. I would. this was yeah. something that I did that took care of myself. So I always got a shower before my husband went to work and I always had a chance to get a little bite to eat before he left. Yeah. Um, and I my think, day started. <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that as someone who's still in the new mom phase. Um, my son's almost two. But yeah, it's just like, it's just a whole new, I mean, it changes everything about your life. I know people say that, but then you don't really get it until you have the baby and you're like, oh my gosh, like it completely changes everything. And you just want to give everything to this little, little tiny human. And it's so hard to to learn. Like you can't. Like you 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 do the absolute best that you can, but you you actually have to take care of yourself, or you're gonna burn out fast. And that was what happened to me. I was gonna be the greatest mom that ever lived. <laughs> you know, like I was gonna read. I read all the blogs and all the books, and I you know I was doing everything I could, and I just I wasn't taking care of myself like at all. And I burned out fast and hard. <laughs> um, one thing we did when um, to help just address that was, you know, when I was nursing um, and after I did the morning feed, my husband was still home. He would take the baby so that I could just stay in bed for another, you know, hour or two um, and rest. But I really like your idea about getting dressed. There is something about getting dressed in the morning that kind of changes your outlook on the day. So I might try that this, this time around. There are two things every morning. I make the bed when I get up mm-hmm. because if your bed's made, your room is like 70% clean, which is hmm. it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's just a mental thing for me. I do that and I get a shower and I get dressed every morning. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm, yeah. 
Southern girl raised from Southern ladies. I, I do fix my hair and put makeup on every day because I physically need to do this for myself. <laughs> I'm not saying everyone should do that, but it is one thing for me that makes me feel better. And I feel like I can, yeah. I can do what I need to do with the day because I've done that. Yeah. Well, I think we feel better mm-hmm. when we get up and do our hair and put a little makeup on, even if we're not even going to go anywhere that day, right. even if it's just the kids that are going to see us, we I feel better when I do that. Right. And that's, you know, I know it's quite, you know, the, a cliched example, but, you know, when they talk about on the airplane, you know, this when you get the instructions, when you have a child that you're carrying in your lap, that if right. the oxygen masks deploy, you're supposed to put yours on first and then help the person with you, right? The baby mm-hmm. or the child. And you're like, well, no, I'd always put them first. But you think about it and go, yeah, but I'm no good to them if I pass out before I help them, right? So, right. Yeah, I've heard the same analogy for like bears in the Mm. wild when there's really limited food. Um, The mama bears sometimes will take the food for themselves, Mm. not because they're selfish, but because they know that they have to eat in order to like be able to actually care for their cub. And I was like, that's really interesting, (laughs) you know. Um, Another thing that Shauna Murray, if I could just, you know, Mm. again, plug her book, um, she really like her second chapter in the book is just on rest and she focuses a lot on just getting sleep and how important sleep is for just your general well-being and i know like when you have a newborn <laughs> you know it's kind of a unique phase in life but i think she's talking generally about like you know the other phases of life um and one thing she says that i really liked is um I refuse to believe the lie that I'm unique. I'm no stronger than others and therefore equally in need of his gift of sleep. And then she also later on says, I refuse to believe the lie that if I neglect my body, my soul and mind will still flourish. And I, I don't know. I, I really like that because I, I, I honestly, in my pride, often think that I am unique mm-hmm. and I can just go, go, go all the time. And I'm going to be fine. And I don't, you know, I used to joke like in college, you know, like people say like, I'll sleep when I'm dead, that (laughs) kind of thing. Like I would just stay up all night and study and go and it, you just can't do that long term. Like it's, you really, really, really need sleep. I've read studies too that talk about how, um, you know, seven or eight hours is good. Right. But I've read for women, eight or nine is probably necessary and has to do with some differences with our body chemistries. And, you know, I have made it, my husband gets up. I married an early riser. I was born to early risers. I gave birth to early risers. Everyone <laughs> around me gets up before dawn, which is hard on me, but it's how we do. But because my husband gets up before dawn to go to work, um, we make a habit of going to bed early in the, at night and I just go ahead and do it too. He goes to bed. I go to bed. We, we read, we go to, we turn lights out very early in the evening um, so that we can get enough sleep. And it has helped a lot now because of health issues, anxiety issues, hormone issues. I don't always sleep well and that's not uncommon, mm-hmm. but at least I'm, I'm trying to get the sleep that I need and I recognize it, that we need it. Um, it is, uh, scary to me. I, I know they talked about it in the the Murray's books. The number of people that are getting by on very little sleep at night, and not just you know the new moms who are in, or you know you're in a crisis situation with a sick child or whatever, but that the the consistent pattern is four to six hours of sleep. That's that's really mm. frightening. Yeah, 
Yeah, let me let me say when I when my kids were young, having a I think so it's so easy to get overwhelmed. A lot of young moms get overwhelmed. Uh, you know, they're cooking three meals a day, trying to keep the house clean. And I I knew my kids were going to get up early no matter what. So I put my kids to bed early. And mm-hmm. some people thought I was crazy because I put my kids to <laughs> it's it's going to sound really bad, but I put my kids to bed at 6:30 at night. Mm-hmm. Um because my husband worked nights. And so their time with my husband was the mornings. And they no matter what time I put them down, they, they usually would listen to uh, a book on tape or you know, CDs or uh, we did have tapes when the kids were little, Um, but then CDs and I would put them in, but you know what? It was good for me too, because Mm -hmm. I would put them, I would put them in bed. Then I would make sure the house was clean. Then I would sit and read, you know, and wait up for my husband. But then I also, um, I also was, I've, I, at that point slept really well. I don't always now, but I would sleep really well and I would get up before everyone take my shower. I would sometimes go grocery shopping at five in the morning. Um, but that's what worked for me. So find what works for you. So I'm not saying what worked for me is what's going to work for you, but having a sort of schedule. One of the things I did as a young mom that I've mentioned before is every afternoon, I did this until my kids were in junior high every afternoon we had quiet reading time. And this, as soon as they stopped taking their nap, even before they could read, they had to sit with a pile of books for an hour. But that time was for me too, to just have quiet for an hour. And so having a sort of routine that works for your family, because there's something about that, that you can take care of yourself during that, because it is hard being a young mom and having kids and, um, and it's tiring. Extremely. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to share another thing that worked for me is I'm thankful that I my first child was a very good sleeper. Once he started sleeping, and Colleen, I put him down at 630, so I don't think you're crazy. Um, okay. That's his, be- <laughs> that's his bedtime. Um, but yeah, I would put him down at 630, and I would go, you know, spend time with my husband, and I was almost in bed by like 8 or 830 like every night, because I knew he could get up in the night or, you know, I just knew I, I needed that rest. And the, the thing that I found that was amazing, because I spent several weeks burning the candle at both ends, trying to, you know, do absolutely everything for this tiny human. Um, once I actually kind of, you know, relaxed a little and allowed myself to get rest and made some very practical changes my husband and I made, I was a better mom. Like I, I was more capable of caring for him once I was, you know, actually getting sleep and taking care of myself, which seems counterintuitive. Like you think, no, if I'm just go, go, go all the time, I'm doing more, I'm better, I'm, you know, getting more done. But it, I don't know if you guys have found that's just not been the case for me at all. Like I do much better when I'm actually, when I'm actually taking time to stop and rest. No, that's absolutely true. That's um, that's what I have found too. And you know, my uh, my kids are older now, but even my teenagers go to bed at eight o'clock, which is very unusual for them with compared to their friends. But 
they naturally wake up about six o'clock in the morning and they go to bed at eight, they read till about nine and that's, that gets them enough sleep so that they're functional and they do well, but it's because it works for them. But then because they're in bed at eight, then I have between, you know, eight and nine 30, um, for, for me and my husband and we can, you know, watch a movie together. We can talk and visit about our day quietly, but you know, we do, we go in and we shut the door in our room and we turn off electronics and we have that time together. That's just us. And, I think all of that is important for us as wives and mothers to think about how we take care of ourselves so we can help take care of those around us. You know, I'm glad you you brought up that time that you and your husband have because that's another thing that I was going to mention is make sure you're caring for your marriage. Uh, you know, especially we have so many distractions today, uh, social media, video games, TV. We have so many different distractions. And uh, we had a, a guest on about marriage, and he said, a lot of people say it's not about quantity time, it's about quality time. And he said, but I don't think that's true. I think quantity time is important too. And I noticed, like you were talking, Rachel, you and your husband maybe just sit in bed and both read, but you're together. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I have our time together too. And um, even now, my kids know, you know, mommy and daddy are having their their time together. And it's, it can be easy to not, I talk to young moms all the time that say, I just almost get no time with my husband, but make sure you find a time that is your time for you and your husband, because that's good for your mental health too. There are some who will tell you that you're being selfish by making these kind of priorities, but this is not about selfishness. This is about, you know, being good stewards of what God's given us. You know, and God has given us a certain amount of time, a certain amount of energy, and we have to use that well to serve him well um, in the ways that he calls us to. Yeah, and uh, one of the things, a couple of the other things that we have on here is eating well. You know what? I will tell you, I think all of us know when we're not eating well, we feel kind of icky. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying never have any cake or potato chips or things like that, but there is something to be said for having well-balanced meals. And especially as moms, I would sometimes, I, my personality type, um, when I'm busy, I tend to forget to eat. If I get stressed, I don't eat. And I have to remind myself, I need to eat, I need to eat. Um, but maybe you're somebody, when you get stressed, you grab the potato chips and the Oreos. And that's not necessarily the best for you to do either. It's not going to necessarily make you feel better. You know, one of the things, and, and uh, Shauna and David Murray talk about this too in their book, they recommend um, that you get enough sleep, that you take, get regular exercise, pursue hobbies. They recommend taking a Sabbath rest, which, um, you know, part of that for me, um, I don't cook on Sundays. It's not because I'm Sabbatarian about cooking on Sundays, but it's because it's a restful day for me. I cook all the other days. Um so, you know, there are things that we do to change our schedule so that Sunday is restful because it's hard as moms to find rest on Sundays. And so there are things that we have done to do that. Um, but one of the things that I thought that the Murrays talked about that was really, really important, and this is especially true right now with what's going on with all the fears about coronavirus and the economy and all the stuff that you can see right now in the news, is that we are stressed out because we have way more access to bad news than people Mm -hmm. used to have. And so part of that is it is important to limit our time on social media. And I say that, you know, I'm taking a uh, sabbatical this year 
from social media almost entirely, but uh, for lots of reasons. But it is important that we we get off social media, that we turn off the news, that we get outside and do things that move us away from our electronics because we get overloaded and we are finite creatures that cannot handle all of that stress. Yeah. One of the things I do is when my husband's here, you know, I stay away from that stuff because it's my, my time with him. And um, you know what? I will tell you, I hope you have a good friend because it is so helpful to have good friends that you can talk to and say, you know what, I'm having a really hard time and I just need to talk mm-hmm. right now. Um, even my husband knows that I need that. That sometimes I even he knows that sometimes I even need to talk to my my close girlfriend. Um, you know, that he'll say, you know, I know you're having a hard time right now. Why don't you call Kim today? Um, he'll mm-hmm. he'll remind me to do that. And that's that's really helpful. Yeah, and also the, uh, you know, me- making sure you're meeting your spiritual needs too, you know, that um, y- we do need to take care of ourselves physically. But if we're only caring for our physical selves, uh, it's not going to long term benefit us. Uh, Rachel, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Sabbath and mm-hmm. resting on Sundays. Uh, also, you know, just being in God's word and and praying and meditating on his word. Uh, that's something I, it took me a long time as a new mom to figure out where does my devotional time come in, you know, because I'm so busy. And uh, one of, you know, one of the things is if I, okay, if I go to bed early, like I'm trying to do so that I get rest, I can get up before the baby and spend some time in God's word and pray uh, before the baby wakes up. And that way I'm starting, I'm starting my day, you know, on a good foot. And the Lord's been really convicting me too about how I use my Sundays. You know, we just, we weren't created to go seven days of just go, go, go. Uh, We need one in seven to, to rest um, spiritually and physically and, you know, really prioritizing, making sure you're at church on Sunday and, um, spinning. Yeah. Like you, you mentioned like having a support system, like fellowshipping with God's people. And it's just so important. Mm -hmm. Um, I know my weeks, just practically speaking, my weeks are so much better Monday morning when I've, you know, utilized my Sunday well and, you know, spent time at church and in fellowship with with other Christians. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but it, it's just how the Lord, you know, wants us to start our weeks, and it makes sense why, like practically. Uh, another thing I would say is music. Mm-hmm. I I personally I listen to music hours a day, um, just even in the background if I'm doing other things and. Uh, you know, I, I think I've said before, I have, I have a spot of my Spotify playlist are things like calm, comfort, you know, things like that, uh, that sometimes I need, if I'm feeling anxious, I turn on my calm playlist. If I need mm-hmm. some spiritual comfort, I'll turn on my comfort playlist. And, you know, uh, on Spotify, so if you don't have a Spotify account, you can still listen, you just don't have all the same 
uh, you can't um, personalize things quite in the same way, but there's now the RPCNA has all of their Psalm CDs on Spotify. Um, so I find, I find those helpful. I've got a, some other artists that do Psalms and hymns that I listen to. Um, so I, I find that very helpful just throughout the day. And that can really be at, you know, for me, that's one of those places where, you know, especially as a, as a young mom, if there wasn't a lot of time in the day to spend devoted to reading, right, I could listen to music while we're doing other things. And so the hymns and the psalms and, and the songs really um, ministered to me and let me sing through and, and listen to the theology of the songs and um, be encouraged through those. Yeah. Ladies, I know that right now that there has been a lot of what we're talking about. Some of what we're talking about is self-care. And I know there's even, I know this is hard to believe, but I know there's even been some debate, you know, is self-care wrong and selfish? I think you, Rachel, had said these things aren't selfish. We're caring for ourselves. So let's just talk um, briefly about self-care and why it's important. Well, I think everything we just said is self-care, right? I mean, uh, all of those things, rest and prayer and, you know, being in God's word and all that. I think the problem lies in this discussion that people use the words differently and it means different things to different people. It is something our culture, like, at large is using. You know, I I see, you know, self-care, you know, treat yourself, um, which honestly I laugh at like and and I, I think we do need to be careful to distinguish what we're talking about is different than what our culture the way our culture uses it because our culture can be very selfish <laughs> you know obviously like uh, their their hearts are hard to the things of the Lord and so when our culture uses self-care it's different and when we use when we talk about self-care we're not talking about um, you know, being indulgent and selfish and blowing off your responsibilities um, and caring the most about yourself. I think that's important to recognize. Yeah, I think it's a matter of emphasis, right? You know, what you're saying that it's, you know, are we, why are we doing things and, and how are we using these things? The things themselves are not bad, right? It's not a bad thing. Um, to go on a date night with your husband. It's not a bad thing um, to take a nap, right? It's not a bad thing to, um, you know, have a spa day. Whatever it is, that's a, a way of taking care of yourself. It's when we we can use the things in idolatrous ways and we can use them in inappropriate ways to, to ignore the things that God has called us to do to, um, you know, dismiss our responsibilities but that's you know, that's not what we're talking about in this discussion we're talking about um, as i mentioned you know being good stewards god has given us certain gifts and certain um, abilities and he's given us uh, we're finite beings with a limited amount of attention and a limited amount of energy and we have to learn how to use those well and prioritize those well and some of that means that we need to take care of ourselves in ways that um, uh, show good stewardship yeah. Yeah, that's put really well. I've seen this uh, conversation play out online a little bit. And what I've noticed is that, you know, there's kind of two sides. One side's like, hey, self-care isn't sinful. And one side is like, yeah, it is. And they're talking past each other. 
they're saying two different things. The people who are saying self-care is sinful are talking about this very worldly view of self-care. And the people who are saying, no, it's actually okay to take care of yourself are saying, you know, what, what you just said, Rachel. Um, it's kind of a, a category error, I think. Well, I think there also is a third um, group of people that are almost promoting a kind of asceticism and really are saying that any kind of self-care is wrong. And mm-hmm. that I think is foolish. Uh, I'll just come out. Uh, I know we're getting low on time. So a few things. I know that if you struggle with anxiety and depression, that assurance can be difficult. We have a, a couple of episodes on assurance I can link in the episode notes. I think most important, no matter what you're going through, is to look to Christ. I've said before that Christina Fox's book on the Psalms of Lament has been extremely helpful for me. The Psalms, if you if you follow some of them, and I'll just do Psalm 13 because it's one I know by heart. And you know, it if you follow them, they'll you'll see the psalmist in great distress, like in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you keep hiding your face from me? And whatever distress that is being expressed, and but it always ends in holding on to what we know to be true, the salvation that the Lord has given to us, his love for us, his faithfulness to us. So no matter what you're going through, the depression, anxiety that you may be suffering with, look to Christ, hold on to his promises, his love for you, his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness at every point. That That is so important. Every single day, uh, I heard somebody recently said, well, you know, we don't need the gospel every day. We're Christians. We know that. No, untrue. Every single day, I need to be reminded of Christ's love for me and his finished work for me. That's where my comfort is. I think you're absolutely right. You, you know, one of the things, and this is how I uh, ended one of those articles that I wrote on anxiety, that, you know, the things that I want people to take away from this discussion, and that's, you're not a bad Christian if you struggle with anxiety and depression. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been many strong believers who have struggled before us, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, John Calvin, many, many others, but those are some big names that people recognize, all struggled. Um, it does not make us less of a Christian because of our struggles. It also is, doesn't mean you're a weak person. Everybody struggles with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not we admit our struggles, we all have something. Um, like we were saying about assurance, while we shouldn't ignore our feelings, Right, we do need to remember that, um, especially with anxiety and depression, our feelings often lie to us. So we need to mm-hmm. hold on to what we know is true. Um, God isn't punishing you. God hasn't forgotten you, and God will not abandon you. And I think those are the things that I would want someone to take away from this discussion. I, I think you guys honestly summarized it really well. Um, I, I, I guess I would just say. Um, to someone who's struggling, make sure you have a support system in place. Uh, I, I know, Colleen, you already mentioned, you know, having friends, um, you know, finding people that have been there, that that know what it's like, um, people that can pray with you, pray for you. Um, and, you know, I, I know that in seasons of, you know, very intense anxiety and depression, I've kind of neglected the means of grace and um, I would encourage you to still, you know, try to, 
be in God's word and and be at church and hear the word preached um, and just seek help from from those that care about you and and love you. Yeah, and anything that we talked about, I'm going to link in the episode notes. Um, the The books by the Murrays are really, really helpful. Um, and, you know, one thing I wanted to say real quick, I know because I've heard from women that will say, you know, we just moved, we're in a new church, I don't really have any friends. You know, don't be afraid to go to a woman in your church and say, hey, you know, would you like to come over this week and have coffee with me? Maybe you and your kids come over. Or, um, you know, talk to the pastor and say, you know, I'd really like to find a woman that I can talk to. And he might say, oh, you know, over there, Jane Smith is really great. Go talk to her. Um, don't, don't be afraid to do that. I know it's hard to do. I do. I'm, I moved to Colorado uh, when I was, when I had one child and right before I got pregnant with my second. And it was hard. It was very hard being in a whole new area, new church and stuff like that. And I just had, and I'm not very good at going up and introducing myself to people. My husband's good at it. So thankfully he did a little bit more of that and invited some people over. But, um, you know, I finally, it's sitting in the cry room, talked to a woman and said, hey, you know, could we get together sometime? I'm really having a hard time and I could use some time with another mom. And that started a friendship. The other thing I want to say is if you know somebody that's struggling with this, uh, Rachel and I have said before, when you know that someone's suffering, see if there's ways you can help. Uh, you know, maybe a young mom, you go and say, hey, can I come watch your kids one afternoon? Maybe you want to go out to Target by yourself, you know, and I could just come and sit with the kids for a couple hours or bring a meal or any number of things, but if you know someone who seems frazzled or overwhelmed, it might not be anxiety and depression. Maybe it's just it's hard being a young mom. You know, finding practical ways to help, I think, is is really good. But somebody that is suffering with anxiety and depression, you know, going to them and just being a friend and loving them um, and finding ways you can help. There's so much we could talk about with this. So um, I know this was a, a little long, but... Um, hopefully, if you're somebody who's been suffering with anxiety and depression, you find some things that you can take from this episode and understand that all of us here have been there. Um, I'm like Rachel. I don't struggle with the depression so much, but um, we know how hard it is and overwhelming. So, Ashley, thanks for joining us. I know your little boy is up. I hear him now in the background, but I'm glad you joined us for this topic. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I'll see you guys next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, next year around this time. For my, for my annual... Uh, yeah, okay, someone wants to say hi. Can you, okay. can you say hi? Hi. This is his podcast debut. Yay. <laughs> well, we're excited for you. Ashley's about to have another baby. Yep, another boy. So, so keep your eyes on social media for news on that. <laughs> And um, thanks so much for joining us. I hope this was helpful. And check out the episode notes for all the resources. We will see you next week with our new series we'll be starting.